0: Welcome to Off the Clock, a podcast by Prosino Wells & Woodland, where we take a team-centered, family-focused approach to serving the estate planning and elder law needs of our community on the Eastern Shore. I'm Amber Woodland, one of the attorneys at Prosino Wells and & Woodland, and I'm joined today by Danielle Marvel, our elder law coordinator. We're excited to discuss and dive into VA benefits today. So let's get started. Sounds good. All right. Thanks for being with us. We're going to talk today about veterans pension benefits. And I think we should just start off by saying Veterans benefits are obviously there for eligible veterans and surviving spouses of eligible veterans. But what allows us to counsel our clients through these benefit programs to help pay for long-term care is that we're VA accredited. So not just anyone can represent a veteran or a surviving spouse before the VA. There is an accreditation process. All of our attorneys are VA accredited. And so it's just super important to even get your foot in the door with the VA that you have that accreditation in place. There are so many veterans benefits out there, and I am not an expert (laughs) on those There is one benefit though that we often rely on for our clients who are facing long-term care costs as a way to help offset those costs. And it's called veterans pension with aid and attendance. So generally, let's just kind of start out by talking about the eligibility rules, how a veteran or a surviving spouse becomes eligible for this benefit. And like Medicaid, there's really a three-part test There's a medical test, an income test, and an asset test. But there's also a military requirement that has to be met. So let's first start off by talking about what are the service requirements? What must we prove and how do we prove that a veteran can apply for these benefits? Sure. So in order to be eligible for the benefit,
1: a veteran or their surviving spouse must have been active in the military during a declared period of war. It does not mean that they had to be deployed during that period of war. They didn't necessarily have to go over o- overseas during that time. But they must have served at least 90 days of active duty with one day during declared period of war.
0: And the declared periods of war, they're set by Congress, and we do not have these dates memorized. I mean, we have to refer back all the time to our cheat sheet about what is a declared period of war. But when we need to look at dates of service, what do we use?
1: most veterans are going to have a DD-214 form that have those dates. There's a few veterans where there was a records fire and they have other documentation to support that, but they're going to have something from either the National Archives or the Veterans Administration, like the DD-214 that has those dates of service.
0: And so those dates of service are on there, the name of the veteran is on there, and then also the discharge status is right. on that form. And so talk a little bit just briefly about the discharge requirements.
1: Yeah, so there's one. You have to have an honorable discharge. And um, Most veterans that we come across have had honorable discharges. hmm
0: So it could be any branch of the military. We just have to show 90 days active duty one day during a declared period of war with an honorable discharge. just can't be a dishonorable discharge. And so if we meet those military requirements based on the DD-214 or other archives and records, then we can move on to does the veteran or the surviving spouse meet the other eligibility criteria? And so this is a needs-based program. Right. And so a lot of veterans who may be listening might think, wow, this pension benefit sounds great, but the likelihood that they're actually eligible is slim because the income and asset tests are strict. Right. And if a person has too many assets, then they're not going to qualify. If they have too much income, they're not going to qualify. So there's planning that can be done to strategically plan for too much income or too many assets. But that kind of is outside the scope of what we want to cover today. Um, I think we should start by just talking about medical criteria, because when are we considering the veteran's benefit, at what phase of life, and does it offer a stream of income to help offset care costs versus do they pay the provider directly? Right, sure. So the benefit is a stream of income
1: to offset the cost of care. So, it is assumed that you're in need of care. You will have to show that and demonstrate that. The goal is to offset your income because there are income limits, excuse me, that you can offset by having care cost. But you will have to demonstrate that. Otherwise, if you're over 65, it's assumed that you're going to meet the medical requirements. Um, You can also present proof of disability if you're under 65. But then the next step, really the big piece to the medical, is showing the need for your care costs in
0: order to be able to meet the income rules, right? So I like to think of the word pension, It's what it sounds like. It's a stream of income if you qualify for it. It's a pension benefit. It's a monthly benefit that's paid out with aid and attendance, which means you have to prove that you need the aid and attendance of another person in order for this benefit to even be on the table. Right. So... Awesome. So if we have a client who's a veteran or the surviving spouse of a veteran that meets the military and medical test, we then have to turn to the financial requirements. So there's all kinds of net worth requirements. And to be really honest, these rules are complicated. They changed several years ago and they became even more complicated and I would say restrictive. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's kind of prevented us From seeking veterans benefits in a lot of cases, because Medicaid benefits often do what we need them to do in terms of paying for care. But nonetheless, when we identify a client where this benefit would be helpful to offset care, we have to meet these financial requirements. So let's talk income first. So gross income or net income, let's start there. And then what do we have to do in order to meet the VA's income rules? Right. So the income rule is basically they take
1: what the benefit is times 12, and your income is going to have to be under that amount in order to meet the income rule. However, there are ways to offset your income by eligible care expenses. The asset rule is is pretty cut and dry. The asset limit is currently $130,773. That generally does change every year based on the cost of living increase number. There are certain assets that are excluded like your home, your vehicles, And there are certain other rules like the VA does look at joint owners on bank accounts compared to Medicaid does not. But if you're over that $130,000 because of the new rules that took effect in October 2018, it's really hard to do any type of strategic planning to get under that number.
0: I think one of the biggest changes in 2018 was the VA imposed a look-back period. Right. So most people know that for Medicaid purposes, if you give away your assets within five years of trying to achieve eligibility, you can be penalized for gifting assets. And we do strategic gifting all the time. We plan for gifts and how to pay for the penalty that results. But the VA kind of got on board with that concept and said, we're going to impose a, a look-back period. And the VA now has a three-year look-back window. Right. So no longer can a veteran or a surviving spouse of a veteran dispose of their assets and immediately qualify for veterans' benefits. Right. They do that within three years of applying There are penalties that have to be dealt with. And the penalty divisor is so low that the penalty is often very long for any gifts. So that's just a consideration. We always have to look at that, whether it's prior gifts that the family has come to us with or whether it's gifting that we're doing as part of a spend-down plan. And most times,
1: because the penalty divisor is so low the penalty period exceeds three years. So it makes more sense to just wait out a new three-year period. Wait out a three-year.
0: There are unfortunately some other things that discourage us sometimes from seeking eligibility for VA benefits. So let's talk about, we identify a client who is military eligible, medically eligible, and maybe even income and asset eligible, but we weigh is the VA benefit worth it? And so let's talk about the amount of VA benefits that are awarded. And let's start there and then we'll kind of go from there. Sure. So
1: for aid and attendance, we're going to usually see either, most of the time, a single veteran or a surviving spouse. For a single veteran, the benefit is $1,936 a month. For a surviving spouse, that benefit is $1,244. If there's a married veteran, then it is higher. It's $2,295. Those amounts change annually as well, generally. Mm -hmm. Um, The reason we see more often a single veteran or a surviving spouse is because when you have two people, your income's higher, Mm -hmm. your assets are higher. So it's a lot harder to achieve eligibility in that situation. And that is paid uh, as a stream of income that's going to be paid to you monthly to go towards your cost of care.
0: So it's added to like Social Security and other pension benefits. And so if we're working with a family that has Social Security, a small pension, and now they achieve eligibility for veterans benefits and can add anywhere from $1,200 to $2,000 of monthly income, if their cost of care still isn't being met, we still have a gap. We still have a shortfall. And therefore, we still need to rely on Medicaid benefits. Right. That is helpful in an in-home setting. Mm -hmm. So in Delaware and in Maryland, adding veterans benefits for in-home care can be absolutely beneficial because it's additional money coming in on a monthly basis that can be used to pay for an in-home caregiver. But in the skilled facility setting, a person who qualifies for veterans benefits and then qualifies for Medicaid benefits gets a reduction in their VA benefits to... $90 $90 a month. 90 bucks. Yep. So we have a really honest conversation with our clients in right. cases like that and say, do we want to jump through all these hoops to just achieve eligibility for $90 a month? Probably not. Right. So that is just something that we take a practical approach on to right. determine if it's worth it. Two, you want to talk about all that's required to be submitted with a VA application yeah. and then the processing time that goes into it. Yeah. The forms alone are cumbersome
1: time consuming. There are about off the top of my head, six different forms that are submitted with the application. Um, The application itself is about 10 pages long. They've recently implemented a new supplemental form that talks about income and assets in more detail, which is also four or five pages long. So it is normal for our typical claim to the VA, by the time you factor in the supporting documentation, To be about 200 pages Mm -hmm. Um, and supporting documentation, you're going to need your basic information like that DD 214, a marriage certificate or divorce decrees or death certificates, but also income bank statements, any transferred assets, things along those lines. The application process, as you can imagine, when somebody's reviewing over 200 pages, is easily about a year long these days, um, if not longer. And during that year timeframe, it is not unusual for more requests to come in from the VA for multiple reasons. Either there was an account that you didn't know about because you were getting interest on it. Um, That's a prime example, actually. Interest is considered income. So that little three cents that you make on a checking or savings account in a year is considered income and has to go on the application under income.
0: And if you don't put
1: it on there, they're going to kick it back. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, or I've often seen they come back and they want a whole year of your medical expenses broken down per month. So it's overwhelming for even for somebody myself that has done it over and over again. It's overwhelming. Mm-hmm. So you definitely want to take that into consideration as well.
0: Yeah. we. It's nice because we can identify when the benefit could be achieved. Right. But then we can have a conversation with the family to determine, is it worthwhile? Yeah. And sometimes it is right. worthwhile. And sometimes it makes a big difference. And other times we elect to forego the VA benefits. And there isn't a requirement that even if a person's eligible, they apply for benefits right now in the state of Delaware. So we just have a really honest conversation with our clients about it and then let them make the call. So, you know, we we just want the information to be out there that this is an additional payer source, veterans benefits. It can be helpful for some families, but hiring a good attorney, elder law attorney who's accredited with before the VA to do the analysis is super important. Is there anything else related to VA benefits that you think would be helpful for the listeners to know or well, I think it's important that they know that
1: we do always evaluate it. We haven't automatically taken it off the table We because we think you deserve the benefit. And if we can get it for you, we are going to apply for it for you because you deserve it. Um, it is important to also know that while the application could take a year, they the VA does pay back. So they have retroactive payments where they will possibly pay back to the date of application so you could get a lump sum payment. But sometimes if you have (laughs) Medicaid, that could also mess things up. So that's something that we take into consideration as well, right, that we plan for. Mm -hmm. Um, Another thing that we take into consideration is that when a person dies, their application dies with them. So God forbid we're in the middle of we've submitted the application and our claimant, our veteran, our surviving spouse has passed away before we get a determination. At that point, there is no retroactive coverage. The claim just dies. In addition, so that retroactive payment, sometimes the VA is also going to have you go through an additional application, a fiduciary application. So if in the medical documents, they see that a claimant is not competent to handle their own funds, which happens a lot, Mm -hmm. then before they pay a retro lump sum payment, they're going to make somebody become a named fiduciary which means you're going to have to open up another bank account, you're going to have to do an annual reporting things along those lines. They do it to protect the veteran to make sure that the best person is receiving the funds, but
0: it is an additional step. Right. So, in a nutshell, <laughs> the the VA benefits are important to analyze, but they're somewhat difficult to obtain and it requires a lot of patience, a lot of thoroughness, a lot of dotting the I's and crossing the T's, understanding how to fill out the claim paperwork and knowing how these benefits work or don't work with Medicaid benefits because it is quite a balance. So thanks for being with us. Thanks for going over the, the veterans benefits and pension with aid and attendance. I appreciate you being with us. Thank you. Thanks for being with us today on Off the Clock. If you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at pwwlaw.com. Of course, you can contact us directly by calling 302-628-4140 or emailing info at pwwlaw.com. We're here to help you plan today to protect your families tomorrow. See you next time. Anything discussed on Off the Clock is for general informational purposes only and is not intended to create an attorney-client relationship. To obtain, the most reliable guidance, listeners are encouraged to seek personalized advice from qualified professionals.